The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, thank you. We're honored. Can, can you hear me this way? Okay, raise your hand if you can't. Then we'll, don't go home polite and not knowing what was said. So, um, yeah, I wanted to thank this Sangha for uh, the honor of having our presence here. Uh, this is a special spot for us. Even though we're mostly in San Quentin, something about IMC in Redwood City and our own efforts uh, really have lined up for many years. So I wanted to particularly thank Gil for that, for spotting Guerrilla Dharma when you can see it. And, uh, and thank you. So I have a posse here of uh, three uh, veteranos, three veterans of uh, consuming correctional services. And uh, so I'm going to, whatever I have to say, keep it quite um, limited so we can really have the benefit of these men and what they have to say. So for now, I'm going to ask you to uh, introduce yourself briefly and perhaps share with us how much time you have served. And then we'll come back after I've said a few things and then we'll do some Q&A. So you may have some questions for us. So, PJ. Good morning. Um, my name is um, Bori Ai. I'm also known as PJ. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> so my name is Bori Ai. I'm also called PJ. Um, I have been incarcerated for 22 years. I committed my crime when I was 14 years old, which makes me one of the youngest um, person to be in prison all those times. Um, so a little brief history. Um, my parents are survivor of a genocide in Cambodia. Um, they were, we were refugee. Um, we ran um, into Thailand. Um, my mom and my, my dad met there. And um, my mom had a, a young boy with her, actually. Um, she has two kids. One was lost during starvation, because at the time um, she was in a camp. She was um, a prisoner of war, and so they were abusing all the prisoner, and um, she was lucky she escaped and made it to Thailand, and she lost her son during the, pro during the process. And so I was conceived and um, was raised in, um, in Thailand for four years, um, four and a half years. I, we immigrated to the United States. Um, we went to, um, originally lived in Santa Ana for a little bit, and then my parents decided that um, because they didn't speak the language and the cultural differences was difficult to adapt. Um, they decided to find um, people who was close and like-minded, who had some similar experience, and they fortunately found um, people they have met in the refugee camp in Stockton. And so we moved to Stockton, and um, I lived there my whole life, actually, um, besides prison, but through my childhood. Um, so I grew up in Stockton, um, same like any most Cambodian and Southeast Asian community, like I didn't have um, the sense of um, support, I guess, um, during the time. So I was struggling trying to fit in, trying to understand the culture, trying to um, find myself in this place. And um, 
And yeah, I was, I, I guess my sense of identity didn't come through for a long time. My family's very traditional. Um, we were born into a Buddhist culture, so it's embedded in the language and, and um, in the um, our practices, our daily practices. And um, so trying to find my place, fitting in with, with the, with the um, other kids, I couldn't, couldn't do it for, for a long time. And then um, I guess if I were to summarize my whole life, the first changes, when eight years old, on a school ground, um, I lost my cousin to a school shooting. That was one of the first school shootings ever to happen. And that like shut me down completely. Um, for the first time, I realized um, that my community wasn't safe and that I came to the United States to find safety and escape the war. And I was reminded that I'm still in a war zone. And so from there, I um, got involved in gangs at a young age. And um, at 14, I tried to impress my older friends, agreed to a crime, which resulted in the death of the store owner. And um, so I originally didn't know that the store owner passed away. I found out several months later that um, Mrs. Eshkar passed away, so I came back and turned myself in. And I was sentenced to 25 years to life for second-degree murder while um, using a, having a gun enhancement. And um, 20 years, so I was in a system. I'm kind of just share a little bit. I shut myself down from humanity for a long time um, for my own personal life experience. And then one day I sat in a group Someone shared very deeply about how he lost two daughters to a crime. And then for the first time, I realized I've done the same thing to another family. And that, for the first time in a long time, I was able to reconnect with my humanity. And, um, and so from then on, I made a commitment to change. Um, we, get, we got back to practicing my cultural and mindfulness because I realized that I'd forgotten right, um, to reconnect with human, but mainly reconnect with myself and understand who I am and my role and the energy I put out in the community. And um, fortunately, I was able to participate in GRIP. Um, we did a lot of um, training and group processing and working with the population in prison. And then I grew. I grew into a person. Um, I grew into a community health advocate. And I started investing in my community, um, became a counselor, worked with the youth, developed my own programs, write my own curriculums. And in 2016, um, the parole board found me suitable, released me from prison. Then I was detained by ICE on the day of my um, coming People out know prison. what ICE is? Right. Unfortunately, all of you do. Right? So I was in the ICE detention center for a year and a half. And in the meantime, the community rallied to support me to try to get me out of ICE, which didn't happen. But I was ordered removed um, but from the United States. And right now, because Cambodia isn't accepting people, um, so I w- they released me in order supervision. So currently, I'm actually on echo monitor, and at any time, if Cambodia changed their mind to take me, I could be deported. Um, so, um, but I'm fortunate. Life is gratitude to me. I've learned a long time ago that you know to take the blessing as it come and make the best out of your situation, out of your life, right? Because there's always beauty in everything you look through it. And because I've learned a lot, despite the dark time in prison, I've become a very, very happy person and I know myself so well and very happy who I am. And so I felt there's some blessing and I met Jacques and these wonderful brothers of me who who is basically like been my world and um 
Yes, and so there is that blessing. Um, so right now we're advocating with the governor's office to give me a pardon so I can stay in the United States with my family and friends. But thank you. <laughs> That's my brother. <laughs> yeah, my name is uh, Glenn, and um, I was born in uh, Oakland. I was in prison for 41 years for a crime I did not commit, but a lifestyle that I chose to live. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you want more? to say a little bit more about your oh. journey in prison and okay oh, well I know I'll go. <clears throat> all right now um, where do I start like when were you for, first for, for, for when I was like eight years old I started a criminal lifestyle I started sneaking out the house hanging out the house because I didn't like school. I didn't think that I could learn. I didn't think that I was smart. So in order to gain my place in life, I felt I had to be a criminal. And uh, I started getting recognized as a criminal, respected as a criminal. So I was out committing a lot of crimes, a lot of crimes that kept me in and out of jail. Since, um, 1968, this is as long as I ever been out of jail. I've been home for two years, and this is as long as I ever been out. It's usually like every, I get out, go right back, get out, go right back, because I wasn't afraid to go to jail. I wasn't afraid of no consequences. The only thing I was afraid of was losing my respect in the streets and my respect among my friends. And I wanted to be accepted so bad, I ended up in prison. I went to prison in 1975. Well, I went to county jail in 75. Went to prison in 1977. I was one of the youngest persons in San Quentin at that time because you had to be a certain age to go to San Quentin. But I was, when I got to prison, I was acting up. And so the prison for the, the youth, they kicked me out, put me in a dope prison. And um, I was still trying to fit in and be a part of everything. So the things that were going on in prison, I would act up. My mother come visit me. She wasn't know why. She got to always visit me on the window. I wanted to be tough and act tough. So I was hurting so bad inside. And I didn't know how to really express it. So I took it out on other people. Like they say, hurt people, hurt people. They say it in grip. But uh, I was hurting so bad inside myself, and I was trying to suppress myself. I always knew in my heart that I was a good person because every time I committed a crime, I always felt bad afterwards, but I never could show it, and I never could show the the goodness in me because I felt if I showed the goodness in me, people wouldn't accept me because of the environment and the crowd I lived in. So I, my acceptance was more important than my personal feelings. But eventually, after years and years of going back and forth, solitary and holes and lockups and stuff, um, 
I lost the three most important people in my life, the people that meant more to me than anything in the world. I lost them like back to back, and uh, it changed my world. I started going to, no, first thing I did, I said I'm gonna get out of prison. So I started going to groups, but I wasn't getting nothing out of the group, groups. Finally, in 19, I think it was, I mean 19, 2000, I think I got there, 2013, I um, accidentally stumbled upon GRIP, a program that definitely changed my life. Psychiatrists, doctors, lawyers, and nobody else could change, but GRIP changed it. And I'm gonna tell you how. Um, after losing all the people I loved most, Came numb inside, not wanting to talk to nobody, walk around the yard by myself, everybody, hey, what's up, Glenn? Hey, everything's cool, yeah. And so I was going to a peer health education class, but the class wasn't there that day. And I walked in, I seen all these people in this room. So I said, what's, what's all these people doing here? And that's why I met Jock. <laughs> I, I, said, I said, what is this room? He said, this is GRIP. I said, what is GRIP? He said, it's a program. I said, uh, how you get in it? He said, you gotta fill out a certificate, I mean, uh, application. I said, well, I don't know. I said, I ain't got no, no application. He said, <laughs> he said, well, sit down. <laughs> so I sat down. <laughs> so I sat down. This is, this, this is how miracles happen, you know? This is how, by being open and broken. Uh, I sat down. He said, here, fill out this application. I said, I can't, I ain't got no glasses, I can't see that. He said, well, I fill it out for you, you know? And I think it, man, he think I can't read right, you know? So anyway, he filled it out. So the first day of grip came, and I missed it. So I told Robin, I said, Robin, I said, man, I missed the grip thing, I ain't better get in. He said, don't worry about it, talk to Jock. I went in there, I sat in there, I listened to Jock, I listened to Robin, and they told and this was the first group that caught my mind. It was the first time that I realized that I was in prison for a murder that I didn't commit. It was the first time I realized that I had to write my life story. Not my life story, but from the child, what led up to my violence, what led up to my anger. I had to write about all this stuff. And so the more I wrote about it, the more I was identif identified with myself. I kept telling Jack, I say, huh? Man, I come from a good family. You know, we go on vacations every year and everything. And see, so, you know, uh, my mother's a nurse, my father's a mechanic. I said, I was just the only person out of six kids. I'm the only one that was uh, a troublemaker. He said, something went wrong. I kept thinking, kept thinking, then I realized it wasn't at my home that my trauma started. It was in kindergarten, walking in the room, full of little kids, don't know nobody, shy, embarrassed you know, skinny. So I sat in the back of the class. And he used to pick on me, half a minute. So I got so angry, I started picking up stuff and hitting people with it. You know, I became real extremely violent. And uh, by the time I was in like the fourth grade, I got kicked out of school, you know, all, all California schools. So I ended up uh, living with my grandmother. That didn't work. I loved the streets. I was in the streets. I loved the streets. I loved. And this is at like eight years old, you know. I got arrested 
but still a racing car set. Even though I had a racing car set, I still stole one. They took me to Juvenile Hall. I went to Juvenile Hall. I was scared. You know, the kids, I was scared, but I felt more safer there than I did in school. I just was more fearful of getting a whooping, you know? And so my mother came and got me. Everybody in the juvenile hall, we was all eight years old, we was all the same age. So we did the same stuff, we ran together. Next thing you know, nine years old, I'm back in jail. Everybody know everybody. Twelve, so jail didn't have no, I wasn't afraid of jail because I grew up in it. So it was like being on the streets anyway because everybody I knew. And I didn't have no feelings, I didn't have no emotions because I suppressed everything because I didn't want nobody to know who I was. But after doing grip and after finding myself and after doing mindful meditation, I'm so present right now. Right now, as I speak to y'all, I'm here with you. I'm not my mind not on the streets, my mind not down the street, my mind ain't on no I'm here. I'm present. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling this energy. I'm feeling I'm feeling this strength in this room. I'm here, you know. And that's what um, mindful meditation has done for me. It made me present. It made me so present that People think I'm strange, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 they think I'm strange because I don't, I don't get upset. I mean, you know, somebody, I might get a trigger, but then I talk to myself. I said, did I just get upset about that? I said, wow, but that's mindfulness. That's telling me that, hey, I did something I better watch and be careful of, you know what I'm saying? Be mindful of it. And so... Thank you. I guess Jock made me just talk too much. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. My name is Robin Peacemaker Gian. And the reason why I passed the mic to my brother Glenn is because I've been a part of his life for a while, and I love to hear him speak because he speaks with his heart words. My story is, uh, as a Native American coming up in the city of Los Angeles, I was a little uh, wild child. And just to make it very brief, I entered the United States Marine Corps when I was 17 years old during the Vietnam era. And during that time, I had learned how to shut off my emotions and not care about another human being because the human being was an enemy and I was trained to believe that another human being was an enemy and I was to do whatever necessary to take this human being out. I say this because that's the seed that was planted in my life early on prior to me committing my uh, capital offense, which was a murder of Mary Jocelyn Jones, a 29-year-old woman of two. I committed my crime at the age of 19 years old. I was recently released from San Quentin State Prison after serving 25 years at San Quentin. However, the length of time that I have actually served inside the California prison system has been 45 years. I will be 65 years old in two days. And I share these things with you because I believe in the, uh, the peace of humanity that says 
There is such thing as redemption. There is such thing as forgiveness. There is such thing as healing. Wherever you come from, whoever you are, whatever the circumstances may be in your life. I met Jock uh, nearly 20 years ago in San Quentin State Prison. I had been on a path of recovery, of redemption, of healing, of forgiveness for some time. But when I met Jacques, he accentuated those things in a uh, magnificent way for me. So I gravitated towards his uh, teaching and his experience. We have been together uh, all this time, and I have learned many things from him. I know the GRIP program, and I practice the GRIP program on a daily basis. And four of the elements of the GRIP program, for me, has been, how do I stop my violence? Because that's the one, number one element. How do I stop my violence? And once I learn how to stop my violence, then I can move on to another more sophisticated uh, piece of the curriculum, which is cultivating uh, mindfulness. Because I needed to cultivate my mindfulness, to connect with other people, to connect with myself, to understand the world that I'm living in. And a very vital piece for me that I had negated for so many years of my life was emotional intelligence. How to develop emotional intelligence and what is that? I'd been shut down for so many years that coming to the, uh, the program where GRIP was uh, first initiated, I had to get in touch with some of those emotions and some of those emotions were really scary. You know, things that... I found challenging was that Melrose belief system because I was taught that men are supposed to act, think, communicate, think about sex in certain kinds of manners. So in this uh, curriculum, I learned that that's not true. The truth is that I need to be genuine and authentic with myself and who I really am, who I was born to be. Who did my mother cradle in those young age. Who did my mother hold in her belly and carry me for nine months? Who was that? So I had to go all the way back and then move my way forward, you know, a step at a time. And I had, I got to tell you, I've had such enormous support and help or I would not be able to be here with you, whoever you are today in this moment of time. Because part of this practice is living in the moment and embracing it. And in the embracement of it, to be able to accept life on life's terms and people and recognizing how much I have in common with every human being on this earth. And I recognize each and every one of you, even though I don't know you personally, as a relative. Because I learned some time ago that when I acted out of fear, out of greed, that I was acting as if I had no relatives. So that grounds me for today. The other piece that is very important for me to recognize in this journey is to understand the victim impact. How did I impact another human being's life and how did that ripple in the universe and how did that ripple into the communities, the cities? I had no idea of that. Today I do. And today I live my life as a peacemaker a practicing peacemaker. And I recognize I don't have it perfect. But I've give, been given such an enormous gift. I've been given the gifts of 
humanity touching me, inspiring me, encouraging me to continue on this, this road that I've been on. As a practicing Native American, I practice my uh, spirituality in what is known as a sweat lodge. I have been gifted. I've been gifted with a piece of land that I have a sweat lodge that I can go to and pray from and align myself and center myself so that when I travel the world or when I go out and speak with people or I share share with people, even on the BART, an act of kindness, a simple act of kindness, a greeting, a hello, a, a, a donation of some type, These are the things that connect me right to my spirituality and align me with the sweat lodge. So I share these things because I want you to know that what Jacques Verdun has been doing for these uh, decades, he's been sending good medicine into the future. And this medicine that I refer to is healing. It heals trauma. And I believe that every human being that is in this room has experienced some form of trauma within their own life and struggle with how to overcome that, how to heal that from their center, from their being, so it doesn't haunt them, so it doesn't create uh, a way that uh, they want to numb it out in some other capacity. So I just want to offer these uh, things in my life to just say I just thank you for the times that you've sat here in this Sangha and have uh, thought of us that were previously incarcerated and there are thousands that are incarcerated today who are struggling the same struggle that I had struggled and these men to the left of me and to the right of me have struggled. When I say I've, uh, I've done 45 years, yes, it's true, I've done 45 years, but I've been given many gifts along that path. The, the gifts that I've been given uh, would take hours to explain and to demonstrate to you. But I, I share this because I really encourage you to understand that there are men that are locked up in what I call iron houses, the prison system, that can come out and make direct contributions to the people that they come in contact with. So with that, i just like to say omitakyasin and thank you. So you can see, I would be grateful to cross paths with human beings like this. It's a real honor. The uh, program we're running now is reaching 600 men this year. Um, We've been at it for six years. They're mostly lifers with parole, meaning they can go to the parole board and if found suitable, be released happened for all three of these. I think right now uh, the count is at 131 GRIP graduates that have been released uh, by the board, and uh, none of them have come back in six years. So we're excited about that. And uh, some of the members of your own Sangha are driving hours because we're serving remote prisons. Uh, Because, you know, so much is happening in San Quentin because of its location. Uh, 
But there's prison in, there's 35 of them anyway, right? So there's prison in the boonies that take a real commitment to go there. And so some members of your own Sangha are doing that. And uh, we're, we're professionalizing, meaning we're building infrastructure. I, I'm learning all these new words. <laughs> um, so that we can meet the capacity because we're, we're not afraid to think big. Other than the curriculum, um, which was rewritten uh, in final version two days ago, we've been doing a lot of, you know, building the airplane while we're flying because <laughs> the need has been so large and so we're catching up with ourselves. But yes, other than, you know, the curriculum, which is you know, a, a lot of effort has gone into that. There's the way that we meet. We, we, we call it the tribe. And Robin was alluding to this, saying that the Navajo Diné American Indians have. They describe an offender as he or she who acts as if they have no relatives. He or she who acts as if they have no relatives. And so... Um, we create the relatives. We, it's a bit like a gang, really, uh, except we flipped it for constructive purposes. And we add up the amount of years that the men have served, and that's the name of the gang, the name of the tribe. So my class on Fridays is called 933 because 34 men have served almost a 1,000 years together. And... Um, there's some dignity that comes back. You know, they greet each other and say, hey, man, 933, right? You, they're part of something that uh, honors their struggle to uh, evolve out of that predicament. And it goes, the bonding goes very deep. You know, it's a real privilege to be entrusted with people's despair, particularly if people means a group of adult males because there isn't much uh, of a synapse for that in the culture yet. So it's very special to, to do that. And um, the other thing we're doing is we're employing people like these three as much as we can to go back in to teach their brothers and sisters what they've learned. And that's an uphill battle because there's no red carpet there. there there's no linoleum either, actually. <laughs> um, but we're making headway. You know, we're, we're employing currently five of these men to be change agents. You know, the correctional officers are called COs, so we have CAs too now. And, and, and we also name it to turn the stigma into a badge. Right. The stigma is you're being forever judged for the worst moment in your life. And the badge is I've gone in through and out of that into an ability to give back. So I, I take responsibility. And these responsibilities are not for the, for the, for the weak-minded. Like you know, we have a practice called sitting in the fire where we tolerate going into what some of these traumas are to, um, to turn it into uh, ashes, right? 
It's done very much in the spirit of love. It's not like we were sitting in the fire, you know, suck it up. It's, it's quite the opposite. And uh, so we have our own set of practices. And it's really a beautiful thing to, you know, take what's the shadow of society, the underbelly, and see this much light come from it. It's an incredible privilege. Um, I think, you know, let me think out loud so you can think with me. Um, Robin is also an incredible flute player. Uh, He has taught himself to make a flute in the prison with limited means but with great results. So I think um, we definitely have to arrange our time so that Robin can share that gift with us. Uh, it's a 15-minute talk, right? Right. So definitely want to take five of those and, and uh, might be a great way to end, too. So let's do some Q&A. Please. You got a mic? So for the men who have been paroled, how are they supported once they leave the prison so that there is not the recidivism? Mm-hmm. There are a few halfway homes. I just picked uh, PJ up from the Tenderloin, where there is one of them. So there's places. Uh, there's not enough of them. There's 30,000 life sentenced prisoners in California. 30,000. Um, but um, it's beginning to happen where that infrastructure is growing. Um, a bit more in the metropolitan areas than in the countryside, but it's beginning to happen. I've been thinking a lot about this over the past few years, ever since we met one other time you were here, and um, I've been contributing each year since then. And um, I loved the idea of redemption and renewal that you were talking about. But I have to say that over the years, I've really thought about you know what's going on in society and institutional racism and how we have racism from an early age for young men. Um, And when you're doing the program, um, how much of that is discussed? Because I feel like while we're all responsible for our own Mm -hmm. behavior, Mm -hmm. there are external factors that Mm -hmm. we're not responsible for Mm -hmm. that greatly impacts how people get where they are. And I'm just wondering how how you talk about that or how you talk about that when you're interfacing with the prison system. No, you know, unfortunately, there's four walls around a lot of what happens there because I think there's really a leading light coming from, uh, like when we do the, put the tribe together, we make it a point that it has to be as diverse as possible, including enemy gang members. Because, you know, to call yourself a peacemaker, you can't just single out, you know, certain groups in the population. So there's a lot of good work done. Uh, it's also understood that next to personal violence, there is that phenomenon called structural violence, right? 
and the prison system is a very pronounced part of that. Um, so the, there's a lot of positivity because uh, <clears throat> our prisons are still segregated. Most of us don't know that, but according to race, you eat separately, you shower separately, you rec- recreate separately. So there's a lot of work to be done. But um, I'm seeing more and more uh, basketball games that are diverse. And, and, and so just as an example, it's beginning to undo itself, even though the system isn't helping. Uh- Glenn, Robin, and Bowie, I'm honored um, to have heard your stories. Thank you. Jacques, my question is to you. How are the change agents such as Robin and Glenn and Bowie, how are they accepted as within their peers when they go back? Thank you. Um, With uh, uh, great curiosity and open arms and uh, a lot of buy-in because um, they represent everything these men are dreaming of, right? So it conjures up a lot of motivation and and um, it's really sort of the essential part of the greater vision is to uh, invite these men to be part of the solution and give back to the places they took from. There's so much dignity that goes down the drain, you know, when you treat human beings the way they're treated in our prison system. So here's one way, place to find it back. I know your question was directed toward Jock, but I, I just want to I just want to add my little two cents in on it. We learn. I learned that just like all of us, we all different cultures, but we all brothers. We all get along. We all love each other because we learned that with love, there's power. And that when we wake up every morning, we're waking up to each other because we just energy. Everything from that point on is just our perception of the way we choose to see or what we was taught, you know, that this guy is this, this guy is that. But when you're on board and you're riding on board, I do a lot of thinking. And when I'm on board, people be tired. They get on board. It's crowded. It's hot. But you don't see no tension, no racism, no nothing, because people is in the moment. They don't realize it but they be so drained from that day that all they got is the moment. And so they don't they ain't conscious of, oh, I'm sitting next to a black guy or I'm sitting next to a white guy. They're just happy to be where they at. And they in the moment, they just don't realize it. But for me, I try to live like that every day in the moment. I try to see everybody as the same. I'm you, you, me, the way God's law is treat everybody like you want to be treated. In order to treat everybody like I want to be treated, I got to be respectful of everybody. And that's why we don't have racism in grip. I think we have room for one more question. I just wanted to know what the grip, what that stands for 
um, very quickly. It stands for guiding rage into power. That includes the fact that we're not having conversations about how old you should be to have a semi-automatic rifle or or a full automatic rifle, right? But that we're making a pledge to say any expression of reactivity is to be owned by this person. Tall order, right? There's not anything that other people can make me feel in the end. And so uh, there's no room for blaming. There's no room for judgment in that. And it's obviously a practice. You don't wake up with that in this culture. Uh, but, but the guys sign a pledge, and, and we hold each other accountable, and we have a year to learn it. And then they graduate in caps and gowns, mind you. Um, because, you know, why just do that for academic achievements if you can also do it for emotional literacy achievements. Um, they graduate from uh, offenders into servants because those are the two opposites. And uh, there's a lot of joy from the community. And often the community is being taught in the visiting rooms with the curriculum. And people have flashcards on their refrigerators and it's beginning to spread. Um, but it's a beautiful thing to give back to the community to say, you know, these, we don't get to send you home because we don't, uh, we don't own the system yet. <laughs> but, uh, but we're saying you're, you're a safe human being. And then they sign that pledge for life, right? And the pledge is everything. It's the precepts, it's the commandments, it's, you know, it's, it's not, not unique, but, but it's... It's all languaged in, in language that uh, serves these men and makes available you know, what is available in transformational awareness and certain psychological interventions that has been somewhat privy of the upper white middle class, people like us. Right? So to make that available for a group of incarcerated ethnic representing people is, uh, is a really important gesture to make because uh, you know, rather than saying you know, I'm privileged not to have to struggle with what you struggle with as a person of color uh, it's probably more correct to say you know, I suffer a certain amount of spiritual poverty because I don't know what I don't know about having this richness in my life right that's a humble, not self-judgmental, but investigative attitude to, to bring to this greater question that sits under how come we have so many people of color uh, living in disenfranchised way and being put up in our correctional systems. But, you know, larger issue, not to be taken on in detail right now. So I want to uh, segue into having Robin share his flute playing with you. What's that? He left it in the car. He left it in the car. You're kidding. You left it in the car. <laughs> okay. What's that?
disclosure of our uh, effort of mindfulness here. <laughs> so how shall we handle that? Is the car far away? Okay, do you want to go get it? Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> so Who was it here that had her hand up? Yeah. We'll come right back to you. So uh, th- thank you for sharing your, your truths and for being here with us today. I um, wish the other two gentlemen, brothers, were uh, here to also hear this question. But um, I was wondering if you would honor us with a little bit of insight into your practice um, as it relates to you speaking about going into your traumas and um, if you would be so kind as to share any of the specifics around maybe some of that practice uh, with us. Thank you. Okay. So uh, as I alluded to, we have flashcards you know, principles of the program that are put on a card so that people have an easier way to to train themselves in. Uh, one of them is, is called Sita, which stands for sensations, emotions, thoughts, and actions. And when we do a check-in, I'm going to be in teacher mode here, okay? When we do a check-in, we check the moment of what is called imminent danger, the abbreviation is ID because you have to identify that moment before it's over, right? It's the moment between anger and violence. Small window, right? It's also the moment between craving and using. Really a good time to bring awareness, right? And lately we, we have added it's also the moment between expectation and reality, Expectation being somewhat of a premeditated resentment. Um, the characteristics of that moment are that everything speeds up, everything intensifies, and there's a moment of regret afterwards when you didn't ID it. So when we do our check-ins, we go like, okay, who had a moment of imminent danger? Well, you're in prison. You have a couple of days probably. So then they're invited to speak uh, about what the moment is. And what happens uh, most often is there's a lot of story. You know, and, you know, and he knows that if he says that, he gets me going. And so he had a coming and, ooh, okay. So can you get into your Sita moment? And we'll use the whiteboard to write it down. Wh- what are the body signals, i.e. sensations, that you're experiencing when you're, you know, in, in this predicament. Well, and, and, you know, and it's like, and then you keep coaching him back. It's like, you know, come back here, put a hand here, put a hand here, push in, get a hold of yourself, right? Hold your horses. But also hold yourself dear enough to care enough. Like, what really happened? Well, my stomach feels tight, my heart is racing, you know, when I go back and talk about it, and... I get restless, and okay, great, sensations. Then what are the emotions? Well, I'm pissed off. You shouldn't be doing that. Okay, okay. What are some of the feelings inside the feelings, right? 
part of the curriculum teaches that anger is a secondary emotion. There's always feelings underneath. Often some combination of hurt, fear, or shame. Yeah, shame being humiliation. Uh, well, yeah, I felt I looked weak in that moment, and he, you know, he exposed me. And uh, okay, so get, get in touch with that. And what you start to see is, you know, when people begin to identify, acknowledge, and name, just just like we do in our own practice, right? Naming, labeling. It takes the charge out of the anger because they're validating their experience. Same with thinking, you know, what's the thought that came up? Well, I'm going to get back to him later when, you don't, when he's not expecting it, right? And then what's the action? Well, I'm, I'm planning to get back to him, right? Often what we see when we take somebody through the process and you externalize the demons, right? So you have some relationship with them. Um, it, like I said, it takes the charge out of oh, no, 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 the reactivity. And so that's one of the practices that we do. Uh, because I don't know if this is true, but it just could be that upon looking closely, that's how what happens happens. First there's a body signal. Then there's an emotion. I like it. I don't like it. I'm neutral, right? And then there's a thought and an action, often uh, all four within a second flat. So to break that down and bring mindfulness to it, particularly the work with the sensations, begins to address the disassociation, the numbing, uh, and... and uh, the literacy of like, oh, this is what happens when something happens inside of me. Yeah? Thank you. Yeah, please. So, I guess one of the things that works for me is also like, um, like it's a practice, right? You, you, you learn it, and then you require to practice it, and the more you do it, you get better at it. And at time, it's just a natural thing that you do without even thinking about it. And so, like, for me, um, I've done it so often because I'm always challenged in prison. Right? You know, you, you walk through the yard, there's always some kind of challenges with, with the, the treatment from the correctional officer. Sometimes, often, like, you feel like they're not being fair, you're being targeted, you're being abused by them, right? And so you're always challenged by them and also by the other um, people you come across who doesn't really take your, your your experience or your space into consideration, and they always cross that boundary, right? And so sometimes, like, I'm not something to notice this. Like, sometimes I see the story, right, the scenario before it happens, mm-hmm. because I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with it, right? And so, so right in running this head tape, like, like, like it's me about me, like, like, like someone is doing something bad to me, right? I'm starting to see a different narrative. Like, what is the possibility of my response? Like, which road, which story will happen if I go this direction? What will happen if I go that direction? And then, then you disconnect from, you know, the, the, the possibility of, right, where you're going to go. And then you can choose, like, like the outcome, right? And so, so yeah, so since I've been out even here now, I challenge myself a lot because I was accustomed and I was raised in a system Right? And, and, and I live through a system that 
you know, I behave a certain way because I have to navigate it to survive it. And now I'm out in a free world, and then I realize I'm using the same tools, you know, in BART, you know, in line, just challenging by the, but by, by the, um, you know, um, the transportation system. Like that's one of one of the biggest challenge I have right now, which is understanding the transportation system. <laughs> and I live in San Francisco, so it's like I need to travel, right? But I, like I'm always people are bumping into me and stuff like that, like like just a small stuff. But then I, I I note like to note myself, like you know, what's the story, what's the purpose, right? And then, you know, we learn to connect with people. I feel the energy. I try to understand, like, what the day is like, where they come from. You know, maybe in the morning they wake up, there's some challenges with the kids, or maybe something happens in their families. And, like, you don't know, but you just learn to observe and watch people, right, in their body language. And then, you know, I'm always checking in with myself often, right? So, yeah, so this process is something, like, you do after a while, naturally, and you don't think about it, right? And so... So yes, yeah, it's, it's been productive for me, and then I can assure that a lot of the men who is practicing, like I have facilitated now, teach it, and so like they does it. And I, I've talked with a few of them because you know we wanted to compare notes, right, of our experience since we've been out and the challenge and stuff. And I realized that we were doing the same thing, not realizing it, and so mm-hmm. so it works when you practice it. See, good twenty years ago, the idea was to take what we learned in our sanghas and bring it into prison. Guess what? <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in these men, and it's practiced. It isn't, you know, dreamed up, dreamed up, right? Um, so, good. We're, we're, we're back to where we wanted to be. And um, I'm going to let Robin uh, speak about what it means for him to play this flute so that you have a chance to meet him on the level of spirit. Um, so, Robin. Do you, do you want to use it without that? Okay, because he can hold it for you. Welcome once again. My name is Robin and I am a peacemaker. Just very briefly, this uh, flute is red cedar. And I made it from the cedar tree. I carved it, I beaded it, I prayed over it, I asked for guidance and direction on how to put it together and to create the particular sound. For those of you that are musically inclined, that have maybe played the piano, I'm sure you are familiar with 440. This is in tune with a 440. So I I really received a big blessing when I put this particular flute together. And I've had the opportunity to play with some really uh, outstanding flute players in my uh, incarceration. Just to mention, one human being that came to my cell door where I was able to play for him was Carlos Nakai. So, talk about miracles and blessings, I've received some. The song that I'm going to do uh, right now is a song that honors women. My mother crossed over May 3rd, 2008. And this particular song I was able to make for her prior to her crossing over to the spirit world. And I put it on tape and I played it for her and she received it. So she knew that this song would be being played when she was resting. So I offer this song to you, those of you that are women. And I say, you know, in honor of you and as life givers. So if you would uh, 
like to close your eyes and get in a comfortable position, I will uh, happily, uh, humbly play this for you because this is part of my uh, walk and my way to say uh, I want to give something back. And it's not me as a human being, but I'm being guided. I just want you to, I want to clarify that. It's not me. is really our blessing and our gratefulness to your community and to Gil. So please receive that. 
I also want to uh, get this Heart of the Press course book that we have and uh, hand it over as a gift to Gil for, uh, for seeing us. So, uh, Glenn and Robin and PJ and Jack, thank you for coming and for, thank you for being peacemakers and uh, for healing the divides. <laughs> here we are again. And I hope that uh, your time here today inspires all of us to also be peacemakers. To, there's so many divides in our society, not just the tremendous divide between those who are incarcerated and outside, where it's so invisible to many of us. But so many different divides that need to be healed could be healed, and I think we all have the capacity of doing that. And one of the missions that I have, and one of the missions for IMC, is to support uh, the organization that's behind Jacques and the three of you. Uh, it's called Insight Out, and um, uh, Jacques does a tremendously good work, and PJ works there now, and there's five men who've gone through the program who are now being employed to be able to go back into the prison to offer this script program. And there's a big demand in the prisons for this, uh, both in the inmates and now the wardens as well. And uh, one of the things that Chuck is trying to do is to employ people coming out, because what a dignified and wonderful way to be in the world for that way. And for that, uh, of course, he needs money. Mm. And uh, so... Any of you who would like to support uh, the Insight Out, they have a website. You can go and donate. Uh, your donations tonight, today that uh, here, Jock will use for Insight Out and for the, what he does. And um, it's one of the great things to support. Thank you for coming very, very much. And I look forward to next time. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you.